Move, counter move, detect, prevent, and defense. Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts from Zscaler's Office of the CISO have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risks, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hello, listener, and welcome to another edition of the CISO's Gambit. I am Brad Moldenhauer, and on my team of the uh, Office of the CISO, let's jump from America's capital to the French one. Nicolas Casimir, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you to have me. Yeah, we, um, we haven't uh, had one of our sessions recently. Some are going good for you over there, yeah? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. All right. We are going to plant our flags in the ground now and shift our focus for today's session to active defense. Now, despite the myriad of cybersecurity solutions out there, breaches, attacks, and exploitations continue. The old approach isn't working. Cybersecurity teams need to move from a passive approach to one that's more active. Now, MITRE's introduction of SHIELD, which is now going to be branded as ENGAGE, addresses this directly. This initiative is a clear indication that active defense, rather than the standard whack-a-mole responsive defense, is paramount in this fight against cybercrime. So in today's session, we will talk to one of the industry's foremost experts in the area of active defense to get a better understanding of not only what this technology is, but how it can be used to prevent adversaries from compromising our digital assets and environments. So with that, I would like to welcome our guest, and as of this year, esteemed colleague, who knows a thing or 20 about offensive cyber and is truly one of the innovative pioneers of active defense-based technology, Sahir Hadiatola. Sahir, how are you? I'm great, Brad. Thanks for having me. And that's a very sweet introduction. I hope I can keep our listeners engaged on a very interesting topic. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that it's certainly merited. So why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and, uh, you know, how you wound up here at uh, Zscaler? Absolutely. So um, I'm a career uh, break into things guy. I started uh, doing security back when I was 16 years old and hair onto my shoulders um, after that, I discovered people paid you money to tell where things went wrong. So um, I started my first company working in the red team space. And we used to break into, you know, sort of very serious environments, tell people how we did it and, you know, help them fix it. Uh, after that, I got very disillusioned with the way people did security on the defensive side. Breaking in is actually way too easy. So I started Smokestream in 2015 with the idea of taking the fight back to the adversary. And the way we did this is we sat down and we, you know, we thought about all the situations we'd seen, all the places we'd broken into, all the incident response we've done. And we said, hey, what would have really caused us a problem? And we looked at honeypots, uh, you know, something that's been around since the you know, 70s, 80s. And we said, could we reboot these to deal with the really sophisticated threats? That's where the company really got sort of founded from. Uh, over time, uh, this approach really worked. Uh, the customers that understand security and understand uh, the difference between doing security just from plus and doing security because you really care about your business, uh, they get it. And they have seen the results of 
sort of the approach of active defense. It wasn't even called active defense back in 2015. So uh, that's been the journey. We have hundreds of customers across the globe uh, in smokescreen prior to the acquisition, uh, the leading companies that you can imagine, some of the world's fastest stock exchanges, the world's largest oil refineries, the world's largest banks have been using this technology very successfully um, for a number of years. And something that was pretty, uh, you know, pretty heartening was in six years of running the company, we had zero churn, not a single customer left us because they saw the value of what we do. And now, you know, after we've joined forces with Zscaler, I'm so excited uh, about the idea to marry deception, active defense, all these new proactive capabilities with zero trust, because that is going to be the future of how we protect our networks going forward. Yeah, that, uh, that is just a fascinating idea, um, integrating active defense within a zero trust exchange. When I first saw that, I, I just, oh, all kinds of thoughts were running uh, through me because, it, you know, in one sense, um, I've always, I'm a former Zscaler customer, of course, and I always looked at Zscaler as, um, you know, the magnum opus of my security stack to start, you know, that's my baseline. I then can, you know, build the rest of my security control environment out. And this idea of the integration of active defense technologies into that zero trust exchange, it's just, you know, I mean, I think it's brilliantly innovative, <laughs> but, you know, you, you mentioned um, how you, you, you guys have customers um, everywhere. I imagine you have seen and had discussions on those shortcomings or gaps that I mentioned with conventional threat detection capabilities and techniques. I'm sure you have a lot more insight, um, you know, when you were working with those customers on integrating uh, Smokescreen into their environments. A anything that you would specifically call out there or something that you've continuously heard from those customers? Absolutely, Brad. So th there's a few themes we hear every single time. The first is the threat landscape is constantly changing. And we all know this, it's a cliche in cybersecurity, but if you double click on it, what's really changing? What's happened in the last few years is we've moved from having to deal with malicious software, malware, to dealing with thinking, smart, motivated human adversaries. In more cases than before, back, back in the day, you know, an APT adversary was someone that never came looking for you. Now, even you know, your, your sort of run-of-the-mill financial crimeware groups have the same capabilities of APT minus two. So you are practically always dealing with a human adversary. So step one, we can't just say we're going to catch some bad software. We have to catch human beings doing bad things. That's part one. That's the changing threat landscape. Part two is we have networks that have scaled out we have more telemetry than ever. We have big data, but we don't have good data. And that means we have tons of false positives. I think we found that 50% of the people we spoke to, chief security officers, told us that their biggest problem today is not more visibility, it's better data. So they get too many false positives, they either turn off the monitoring, their teams get fatigued, and they have a serious problem with either the needle in a haystack problem or prioritization. So that's the second problem. Uh, so changing threat landscape, um, false positives. And, and the third one, which I think is probably the closest to my heart, is simplification of this problem. Mm -hmm. People honestly don't want to deal with it. They just don't want to have to you know, build massive teams to 
like 20 different solutions to, to sort of solve this problem. They want it taken care of. They want a solution stack that is architecturally sound enough to deal with preventing something getting in and whatever slips through, they can detect it and they can remediate it. This is evidenced in the industry by, you know, uh, a bunch of different uh, detection and response solutions, a bunch of SOAR and orchestration solutions. But if you really think about it and zoom out, you don't want to deal with this you know, in isolation at each stage of the kill chain. You want to say, hey, look, if something can, does not get blocked, I want to detect it, I want to contain it, and frankly, I don't want a human being to look at it. These are the three common themes, changing threat landscape, false positive, simplification of the uh, post-breach scenario if that makes sense. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, from my vantage point, um, you know, just taking a look at the cybersecurity market in general, you know, you always hear about, and you see vendors kind of flip it this way as well, is look, we need to get better. We need, you know, incremental change. And, you know, I, I just don't believe in that because we keep seeing these, these attacks we keep seeing how the old approach does not work. I think that we need something more along the lines of transformational security change. And I think you've kind of, you know, laid the staple there, if you will, as to, you know, why the need uh, for active defense has risen. But let's jump into the how. Like, what is active defense it, when you hear that term? I mean, let's, let's kind of unpeel that onion, if you will. So, Brad, the, the, the cool thing about active defense is it sounds like an industry buzzword. It's not. It's actually come from traditional military doctrine. It's very simple. The idea is if you have somebody who's entered your borders, they've sort of uh, attacked your territory, they're in your, you, you know, they're, they're in your world, you have two options. You can sit back passively, wait for them to attack and defend them, or you're going to meet them. It doesn't mean you go out beyond, you know, beyond your borders and attack back. But what it means is that you're going to take um, very proactive approaches to ensure that they cannot get further and that they have very, very strong incentives to, to, to leave your environment. The simplest example I can give of this is imagine, uh, you know, sort of in the real world, imagine um, you're being targeted by a missile, Right mm -hmm. now, there are two ways you can deal with this from a defensive perspective. One is you build the world's strongest bunker and you hope the missile cannot penetrate. The second is you have, uh, you know, a system that will actually engage that missile and destroy it before it even hits your bunker. Right. The first one, when you build a bunker, that's passive defense. Right. The second way you engage and you go out, you know, intercede uh, and stop something from happening right? That's active defense. You're still operating within your own airspace. You're not hacking back. You're not going and attacking the other guy. You're basically saying that I'm not going to let stuff move forward in my network. Active defense is the cybersecurity version of this. What does it imply? A number of organizations have actually been doing active defense for a long time. If you look at threat hunting, threat hunting is active defense. Mm -hmm. You're not waiting for a SOC alert. You're Going up, you have a hypothesis and you're saying, hey, I believe the bad guy might be in my DMZ. I'm going to go look for him. And if I find him, I'm going to eject him. That is, you know, pure play active defense. Honeypots, yeah. active defense, right? So how does this break down in terms of 2021? Uh, the great thing is uh, 
lots of folks are realizing that this has significant value. Lots of people have been doing it without talking about it because it's obviously something you don't want to talk about too much. But if you look at what the MITRE uh, folks are doing, they're doing an amazing job. Uh, last year, 2020, I think it was maybe September, they launched what they called MITRE Shield, which was the first version of uh, sort of their close cousin to the MITRE attack framework that all of us probably on this podcast know about. MITRE Shield was the first step towards MITRE formalizing active defense. They have now gone a step further to make it operationally useful to customers where they've launched MITRE Engage, as you mentioned earlier. MITRE Engage says, if you want to engage the adversary within the boundaries of your network, be more proactive. Don't wait for the ransomware guy to send you an email saying, pay me in Bitcoin and then deal with the problem. That's exactly what we do. In a more mm. sort of tactical scenario, we, we make life difficult. If you've watched the movie Home Alone, we're basically doing that. We're defending this network by putting in traps, bait, lures, all sorts of stuff that's going to make life very, very difficult and hostile for the adversary, really, really easy for the security team. And the reason is very simple. From a business objectives perspective, we want to change the economic equation between offense and defense. We want to make offense cheaper, faster, more operationally efficient. We want to make it much harder for the bad guy. <laughs> and, 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 and this is, sorry to interrupt you, uh, Sayer, this is Nicolas speaking. Uh, it's, it's, I think that the best way to... Um, differentiate active defense from any kind of buzzword is exactly what you've been doing with some physical example. And, and uh, for those of you that is not that technical, I think that the kind of analogy uh, regarding active defense decoy uh, and illustrate the active defense by, you know, uh, using that analogy with uh, for instance, the Second War, where um, you know the, the allies were using dummy tanks, dummy uh, infrastructure uh, uh, for for tricking the enemies and and trying to lure them and and trying to make them attack a certain target that is not existing target. And I think this this kind of analogy is is really um, helping to make a difference in between buzzword marketing elements to real stuff that is coming from out of the military vocabulary and now entering more and more into the cyber uh, defense uh, domain. And it's illustrated well, I think, uh, what's the active defense principle and how to use it and so on. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, I yeah. love that. If I, if I could chime in just on top yeah, of Nicola, please. because this is a topic close to my heart. Um, ha anyone who's ever watched a movie that has the Normandy landings D-Day, have you noticed one thing? There are no tanks on the beach. Yeah. This is because uh, um, there was uh, a unit, an allied unit called uh, the Ghost Army. And to Nicola's point, they created these fake tanks, these drive trucks up and down to make um, uh, the, the Axis forces believe that the landing was going to happen in Calais, up north, not in Normandy. And so... Uh, the, the Axis powers reserve their tanks up north. And that's the reason why you will never see tanks in any um, Normandy landing movie. <laughs> yeah, that's so it's a great way to, yeah, definitely. And it's a great yeah. way to, to, to influence uh, the adversary and to make them uh, spare time, spare resources and, and, and so on, so that they are tricked into you know, attacking 
uh, a decoy while you are really investigating on, on them and you are finding potentially from where are they coming from. And, and, I, I, and I think that's one of the main interests of having those active defense in place. It's, it's the information you can, you can find and, and it's not really about their techniques, uh, the technique that they are, oh, yes, you can learn from that. Obviously, yes, you can. But one of the main interests that I'm seeing is, is basically to know from where they are coming. And that's potentially the foothold that they have obtained. And that's potentially one of the main benefits of uh, the system uh, uh, to be sure that to, 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 to reduce uh, the number of threat vector they could have uh, used to get into your network and to reduce that to a very shortened list and then being able to shut down that access. I, 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 there, there are plenty of benefits. I'm sure that you're going to teach, teach us or give us some information about the benefit of the active defense strategy. But what I'm seeing from, from outside of that business is really that. Yeah, I, I just want to say what an excellent analogy that Sahir mentioned a few moments ago with home alone and active defense. Think about that for a moment. Joe Pesci's character masquerades as a policeman and essentially socially engineers the home's current security posture out of the father. You know, their alarm systems limitations, uh, the lighting timers, and the mother who discloses that they will be leaving the castle at a specific time for a flight to Paris. What Joe Pesci's character was completely unaware of was the lures and the creation of false attack paths that Macaulay Culkin would later set in place that ultimately deceives the duo we now know as the Wet Bandits. What a brilliant analogy. It's also, also resonates a lot with a, a new concept uh, that is uh, uh, that, that, that have um, uh, come into the cyber defense uh, industry, which is the time to inventory. And if you remember correctly, uh, during the, the next year, there, there was that RDP vulnerability called BlueKeep, and some security actors were, were uh, just testing how much time uh, would an attacker need to find um, a target like this, uh, that kind of attractive target. And uh, that really resonates with the active defense element where you have a, you have a trap and and you and and you are trying to make the attacker targeting that specific target. And one of my question is uh, to, to to you, Sayer, um, how would be the lure more attractive than the real targets in, into an organization? This is a very important question, Nicola, and um, it has a slightly complex answer. So the first thing is, what we try to do is we want to increase opportunity to see, right? We stole this term from marketing, right? In marketing, they want you to see their ad more often. So it's opportunity to see, we, we try to repurpose that. So the adversary has the opportunity to see, because if you think about it, attacks are not just one, one shot, one kill. There's a kill chain, there's a process. It could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, right? Depending on what the attack is, right? What we want to do is, ensure that the adversary at each stage has multiple opportunities mm. to see. And the way we decide how we can increase that opportunity to see is not just raw numbers, right? Like the, the sort of, 
initial thinking is I have 100 servers, let me create 200 decoys. So therefore he has more chance to see the real stuff. This is, this is not the right way to think about it. It's perfectly possible with the technology, but that's not the right way to think about it. A better way is to focus on two things, visible and vulnerable. And what I mean by that is, think about yourself, put on your bad guy hat, you break into a network, right? What's the first thing you're doing? You're probably not breaking into the attendance management system, right? There's probably a server for it. It's important, sure. What are you looking for? It's a manufacturing organization. You're looking for SCADA. You're looking for the plant. It's a bank looking for SWIFT servers. You're looking for ATMs. You're looking for cardholder data, right? So the target selection algorithm that attackers have is pretty reasonably refined, and it falls into the two buckets. Is it visible? Does it say SWIFT in the host name? Does it say ATM controller? Does it say plant HMI, right? And then there's vulnerable. Sometimes the bad guy says, hey, look, I don't know what I'm after. I'm not like super targeted, but I know that I can break into Tomcat servers, right? I, I have an exploit for it, or I have print nightmare that we've all been dealing with off late, right? That's mm -hmm. the second V, that's the vulnerable, right? So what we do is automatically, we try to create decoys that fall into these buckets of visible and vulnerable. And then there's mm -hmm. another step where we either make them blend in or stand out. There's a, there's a, there's a fine balance. And the reason I say that it's a, it's a great question with a complex answer is it's very solvable in technology. Like if you just want to press one button and get it going, you can. But if you're the type of person that really you know, knows, this, knows your risk, you can do really crazy stuff. For example, we had a bank uh, they they merged or they acquired another very large bank. It's a, it's a very large global bank, right? And they were very concerned before um, this went public, right? That people would be looking for information, both insiders and people breaking in to get information. And so they actually deployed our deception around this business use case. They deployed deception that looked like, you know, stuff around m and and things like that. And the crazy thing is they got triggers from internal IT people who were just maybe idle curiosity. It's not, exactly. you know, some crazy North, uh, North Korean or Russian attacker, right? Mm -hmm. They were just looking for information, right? But the point is, which other cybersecurity defense do you know of that links so closely to your business risk? Your, your you know, your NetFlow doesn't know your M&A sort of process. Your endpoint protection doesn't know it because they're all focused on catching bad software. Active defense is intrinsically linked. It cannot succeed well unless you link it to your business risk. Yeah, that makes that, total sense. Yeah, yeah that, that makes total sense because, yeah, you know, Nicola and I, in our engagement with customers, you know, the, the message we always hear, right, is that risk surrounds and envelops us. You know, without understanding it, these companies risk everything. And without capitalizing on it, they gain nothing. And what I've seen to be the most successful approach in this is that, you know, you have security leaders who, in, you know, essentially mandate that their teams run to the riskiest things in order to shape the path of the risk, right? And I think active defense lends itself to that incredibly well, right? Yeah. And, and so if I understood you say, uh, correctly, uh, you can definitely make the active defense strategy move along your business strategy goals while they are moving uh, also. 
And for instance, if you have a, have a, a merger and acquisition program, then you are building that decoy that is specifically targeting uh, that kind of element. But if you are launching a new service on a, on a cloud environment, for instance, on a certain technology, you can also adapt your active defense strategy according to those business uh, needs and risks. Is that correct? Absolutely, Nicola. I would go so far as to say that software can handle most of the heavy lifting, but if you really want to get the best out of it, active defense is not, it's not a technology. It's a capability, mm -hmm. right? It's a pillar of your security foundation. So if you train somebody who's, you know, who can think this way, has an adversarial mindset, why would someone attack my company? If they attack it, what would they go for? And then they use the software to force multiply that capability. That's when we get the best out of it. Mm -hmm. um, now, one, one question that I'm always curious about, um, do you see, what, what kind of role do you see with active defense um, in, the in, in the field of like operational technology or IOT um, attack detection? We had a really interesting um, stat, which we had just prior to the acquisition, Brad. So we found that the fastest growing segment of customer uh, that we had was manufacturing SCADA, ICS, guys that have, you know, things that will go genuinely boom if we don't protect them, right? And we started asking ourselves why. And we figured there were two reasons. The first is these organizations typically don't have the budgets that the banking guys do to protect. They don't have the people. They don't have the ability to have a SOC going 24 by 7, you know, threat hunting, right? So what they want is something that will protect them against threats like ransomware, right? Uh, but without the operational overhead. So they found it extremely easy to deploy decoys and punch above their weight class. They had no security program. I remember I had a customer, it's, it's one of the world's largest metals uh, manufacturers, right? These guys had not too much going on, right? Very basic security. You've got a usual AV and firewalls, no threat detection program to speak of. They went in, deployed active defense in a matter of maximum a month. I think it was a few weeks. And they started being able to catch red teams that their management was asking them to do because they were worried about this problem. Now, mm -hmm. if you had taken that organization, told them do your typical SIM, SOC, you know, plug everything in, journey, right? That's an 18 month at best cycle, right? So uh, we see this a lot in SCADA ICS. And because of that, we double down innovation wise. We tied up with two of the world's largest uh, SCADA uh, and uh, OT OEMs. And we built decoys where we can actually replicate a full blown refinery or a manufacturing plant to the point that their own guys would have trouble distinguishing the decoys from the real stuff. We tested this. We, we actually got their own internal red teams to come in and try to hit these decoys and say, what's real, what's fake? And we did very well in that scenario. I think the last one we did, uh, we caught the, the red team that they were doing uh, within one day of them starting their reconnaissance, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. So that another interesting use case there that's come to the surface, leveraging active defense to test the efficacy of some security processes or controls. In this case, um, you know, seeing how you could identify a simulated attack in the form of a red team. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah, and a question about the maturity that is required uh, for an organization. You were uh, explaining that active defense is not tied up uh, uh, or only um, available to the mature organization. Uh, but is there is there is there is any minimal requirement uh, before uh, being able to put an, an active defense strategy in place? I, I see two ways, Nicola. So for some people, active defense is their last line of defense. If you already have defense in depth, which means our industry has sold you everything that we already have, right? You've got 25 boxes and you've got all that going. We're your last line of defense, right? All else fails, we get the bad guy. The second category of person that can adopt active defense is a law firm, a hedge fund. You don't have anything, but you want to know at three o'clock in the morning if someone's accessing a file share um, on your, you know, your partner's system, you know, something like that, right? We're the first line of defense there. And the interesting thing is that because this technology can scale from being just press a button and send me a text message when something goes wrong, it goes all the way from there to threat hunting. IR use cases. It, 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 and this is actually a problem, right? When you start talking to people, a lot of people have this misconception that active defense is just for the guys that have everything. You know, if I, I, I always, I, I was CEO of Smokescreen, right? And we didn't have huge budgets to run our own internal security, but we had to protect our customers. Um, and I one day I sat down and thought about it and I said, if I could do anything, what would I do first if I could just spend a ton of money on every security solution? And my answer was, look, I can go buy EDR, NDR, UEBA, you know, all this stuff. That's great. And I, I probably would if I could. But the point is, if I could do just one thing, I would want a legit alert when it comes in and make it very easy for my team because I don't have a dedicated team that can do this. So either first line of defense, last line of defense. And I once see. you reach somewhere along the way, the use cases are crazy. I see, I see, I see. Uh, and uh, as we just, uh, Zscaler just integrate the smoke screen, uh, um, because what I'm seeing is at minimum, you should be having an alerting system, meaning that uh, if you have only the active defense uh, tools for protecting your organization, and don't have all the, so the fancy socks, uh, anything that you can imagine about that. Uh, does the smokescreen product within Zscaler is able to generate the alerts uh, directly to the organization, the customer organization? Yeah. We can, Nicola. We can do everything from generate the alert from multiple channels, you know, API, email, phone, text message, all completely automated. Uh, we have a mini orchestration system. So even if you don't do orchestration, but you want to think about basic orchestration, we can do that. And this has been a cool capability because everyone says they want to orchestrate, but you can't orchestrate if you think it's a false positive. You need a human mm. being to look at it. So deception alert, low false positive plus orchestration, great marriage, right? Um, and then most customers, you know, of some mid-level maturity or upwards, they'll send it to a SIM or they'll send it to an analyst. But we yeah. have a broad stack. We have people who don't even have security in their designation who make great use of the platform. But you're right. The typical customer will send this alert um, to a SIM or some sort of yeah. data lake and go from there. I suppose. And how difficult is it to maintain uh, the, the, 
because I, I, I see I, I was looking at you know the industry on the active defense uh, topic and and the the thing has to be easy to install and easy to maintain because you don't you don't want to have you know a lot of investment investment at you know building all of those decoy all of those false uh, system and so on so it wouldn't make any sense to do that so I, I, how is I'll it give you, yeah yeah I'll, gi I'll give you two answers at the risk of sounding like it's a Z-scaler, um, you know, integration in play, but I, I genuinely mean this and I can support it in any conversation, happy to debate it. My biggest problem uh, prior to the acquisition was um, I was another piece of technology that someone had to do something with. I could make it very easy to deploy, but someone still had to go and maintain that stuff, right? Uh, you change your strategy, you got to go look at it, you got to do some stuff, right? So it, it does require some work. It's far less work than, you know, many other nameless technologies, right? But it is work, no question, right? Um, that being said, I have a number of customers that do a set it and forget it approach. They'll say, if a decoy gets triggered and burnt, then we'll cycle it. So that's, that's a very fair approach. Here's what really excited me to the point that I sold my company around it was, I think zero trust changes the whole way you think about this problem, right? We now have strong user identity, device identity, and what applications the guy should really access. This was gold for me in Smokescreen. If I could have known where he should have been going and what he, who he is, I could yeah. have created much better deception and made it much more seamless for customers. And that's what's super exciting. That's what the team is working on right now. Right, I see. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing I, that I wanted to ask, and I think it, it'll tie everything that we've discussed to this point together, you know, we're, we're getting more and more um, information released from the investigation of what happened with the colonial pipeline attack. Um, you know, I'd be curious, uh, see here, to get your thoughts on if that organization had active defense in place, you know, and let's just assume fully matured and operationalized, where, you know, that would have been able to disrupt that kill chain from what we know today. All right, so I'll, I can talk to you about this from the Colonial Pipeline hack and um, the reverse engineering of the Conti ransomware as a service playbook, and they're mm -hmm. kind of similar. So uh, we did this analysis and we figured across the kill chain, uh, the opportunity to detect with very, very high likelihood of, look, you can't miss this. I'm not even talking about all the places I could theoretically log it. I'm talking about the place where you can't miss it. Uh, we had eight to nine places across the kill chain where we could detect them. And I'll quickly talk you through a few of them. Yeah. How did you know, the Colonial Pipeline guys initially get in? Ostensibly, initial recon, credential stuffing, and exploitation of internet-facing assets. We have people that can pick up on this credential stuffing. You, know, you forgot you know, somebody's password was out there in the wild. They get in on a VPN. We get that in the decoys, too. You try to exploit a vulnerability. Citrix had a bunch of vulnerabilities. A lot of VPN providers had these vulnerabilities. Bad guys are scanning for these, and a lot of these large organizations have them. We have decoys of those. We detect those regularly for our customers from all parts of the world. So that's you know one place that we get it. Next is phishing. We create decoy personas, email addresses that someone can send a spear fish to. So supposing you're a bank and you have a guy on LinkedIn and his profile says, uh, I operate the ATMs, right? I push patches. 
that's going to be in someone's hit list and we can get that as well. So we've got the initial access piece covered. Now let's say the bad guy breaks in. He's finally got access somehow. What we can do is he needs to escalate his privilege. So he's going to look for credentials in memory. He's going to run tools like Mimikatz and a bunch of other stuff like that. We have decoy credentials. It could be in the cloud. It could be an AWS IAM cred. It could be, you know, just uh, on your laptop. If I break into your laptop, I'm going to look for your hyperv passwords, right? We're going to find those. We have decoys of those and we detect that. Next stage, Active Directory, phone book of the network for the modern adversary, right? We detect all sorts of Active Directory reconnaissance, which is extremely difficult to detect. Here's a huge problem. Security teams don't own Active Directory. The IT guys own it. Right, so you can't, you don't even have visibility into what's going on there. But there are tons of vulnerabilities that you can, you know, exploit there. In fact, most cases, zero to hero through AD in one shot. That's how it happens, right? We detect that, we fake the bad guys out, we send them to different places. So we've gone from, you know, initial access, um, privilege escalation, reconnaissance. Then he starts scanning the network. He starts looking for places to move to laterally. Okay, I've got some good creds. I want to go. I want to find the SQL database, the customer info. We have decoys in every single VLAN. We have it in every cloud VPC. We detect that as well. And then the final stage is he goes for the data. Maybe he's encrypting it. He's deleting it. He's exfiltrating it. We create fake data, right? And we can detect where it moves. We can track it through the network. We can even go so far as if the bad guy takes it back home, we're going to put a pinpoint on, you know, this, this doesn't happen very often, but can we do it? Absolutely, right? You can put a pinpoint on a Google map and say, this, this is where he's opening this file, uh, this file that he exfiltrated from your network, right? So think about it. Initial access, privilege, privilege escalation, internal recon, active directory, uh, action on objectives across the kill chain. If Colonial Pipeline had had active defense, they would have had eight to nine high fidelity opportunities to see and detect this attack. And I firmly believe that. Okay. And uh, in a normal situation, at what stage does organizations would stop the attack? Meaning that you, you're not going to wait or, you know, to block the attacker to, you know, uh, to, do, to do his stuff. And what, what would be your recommendation about that? I love this question. This is, uh, I can always tell when I'm dealing with the CISO who's doing incident response for the first time, because the first thing he says is, Sahir, you've got the detection, block them. And I'm like, stop for a second. We don't know scope. We don't know anything. I'm not trying to build an intelligence report out of this, but I don't know where else he is. We don't know enough. And mm. when you block too early, you send a negative signal to the adversary. And what he's going to do is if he has even one more foothold, he's going to keep quiet for two months and come back. So you have a mm. false sense of security. So there's this balance. Uh, we call it the half-life of detection internally here. And we have, mm. depending on your SOC capability and your organization maturity, we have different half-lives depending on the customer, right? But broadly, here's what I say. If you get a high privilege alert on a decoy, and you see enough, which means you see a credential and you get a basic sense of intent, ransomware, insider threat, that's good enough to block. If you're more sophisticated, I have had customers who have kept adversaries busy for nine hours in a separate decoy network, just learning. These guys wanted the holy grail of attribution. They didn't just want to know what's he doing and where is he going. They want to know who is he, right? So you can go that way, but I would say for it's power law distributed. 80% of the people, you need to know just 
trust enough, then take a call rather than going for building I your see. own threat. And yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, this has been just a fascinating discussion. And, you know, if I was to attempt to sum up what we've discussed here, we can say that the attack surface that security teams must secure continues to expand rapidly as attacker tactics evolve, right? Whether that's through what we've heard from see here on nation state attack teams, insider threats, or for higher groups, or, or even others. The forced digital transformation during the pandemic and the long-term ramifications that have resulted from it point to the need for a more robust approach to protecting critical assets. And this is where we believe active defense is key. You know, it's likely that the MITRE Engage will become a standard to measure security proficiency by for everyone. Organizations uh, need to expand that proficiency by including the best practice of deception into their security mix. Uh, Sihir, I want to thank you for uh, joining us uh, on the CISO's Gambit. And um, hopefully we can definitely get you back sooner rather than later and continue talking about this trend uh, and where this uh, piece of the industry is going. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Nicola, for having me. This was great fun. I, I really enjoyed this. I hope it's useful to, uh, to our listeners. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the CISO's Gambit. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Brad, Danny, Mark, and Nicola on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.